Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and it's time for another one of my therapy sessions where I'm able to get some of my pet peeves off my chest. And this week we're going to be talking about sheltering in place, because this is typically where most people are going to gravitate toward when they're facing a disaster. However, I see a lot of mistakes being made by a lot of the people that I work with, as well as comments that we see on our blog and I see in other forums and even in other expert advice. So I thought I'd take this opportunity now to get together with Buck and talk about the biggest mistakes that I see in your shelter-in-place survival planning. Go ahead and check this out now. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. I'm too old to bug out. I've got too much gear at home. I'm not taking my family out there. We're going to dig in and survive right here and wait out whatever's happening out there. How many times have you heard your fellow preppers and survivalists talk like this? Uh, Of course, it makes a lot of sense to stick it out at home and wait out a threat in your comfy, cozy living room with all your stockpiled supplies and the perceived safety of your fortified home. But there's more to it than just locking your doors and living off the food in your pantry to make it through a potentially long-term disaster, especially when you consider the real-world threats we've seen during recent events. In fact, as we've any factor in your survival planning. Sometimes it's making the wrong decision that can put you in more danger than not prepping at all. And that's exactly what we're here to discuss today to make sure that you don't make the same mistakes you'll see so many others making in a shelter-in-place survival scenario. Hello, everyone. This is Buck Green, Ops Manager over here at uh, Modern Combat and Survival Magazine. And today I'm back with our great and wondrous Editor-in-Chief, Jeff Anderson, to basically let you in on the conversations that we've been having about this topic in our own offices. Uh, Jeff, it's really good to get back together for one of these podcast episodes. Yeah, and let people in on, uh, on what we've been talking about all along anyway. So, yeah, this will be, uh, be fun. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Jeff's background, he's a lifelong student of what he calls survival arts. It was Jeff's military training that led him to seek out strategies that would protect not just him on the battlefield, but also provide for his family's own self-reliance in any sort of disaster, crisis, or collapse. In Jeff's survival training, it was his service overseas and life combat missions that he was able to get a first-hand glimpse of what a city gripped in collapse and without the rule of law is really like for its citizens. And he uses his unique experience to inject a more realistic view of what to expect in survival scenarios uh, and provide practical solutions, even in extreme environments, for true survivalists. Ultimately, his training and experience led him to create the digital media channel for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, which is fueled by, it must be more than 90 of the world's top instructors in law enforcement, military, and civilian survival schools. Uh, you can learn more about Jeff and MCS Magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Now, Jeff, you and I have had what seems like a bazillion conversations about the rights and the wrongs we've seen people make in their survival planning. Yeah. Some of it really does make you shake your head. 
but then it's also very understandable because a lot of what people are doing to prepare is based off of what they read online or from some doomsday reality show. I think this will be a real eye-opener for people because we can really focus in on those areas where we see the biggest mistakes being made. Uh, I think what I'd like to do is highlight a few of the top planning areas of a shelter-in-place scenario and then ask you what you found to be the number one mistake you think most people are making in that area. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah, yeah. And I, I know these, I know these different areas and there's a lot of mistakes that people make, but I think, you know, I think if we, if we can just nail it down to like, okay, here's the, here's the one that we see the most often or the one that would have the biggest impact. I think that's probably the, that's probably the best way we can help out in this short time. Okay. Um, I think the best thing to do is break sheltering in place down to the, the core topics. Uh, family preparation food, water, security, and, of course, shelter. Uh, and we'll start with prepping your family because I know there are a lot of prepared citizens out there who are kind of going it alone where their families are concerned. Maybe their family members just aren't interested in what they're doing, or worse, maybe their spouses don't share their views and they think prepping is foolish. Then there are families who kind of approach this topic with enthusiasm. A few of them even land their own reality shows like, Doomsday Castle is the one that comes to mind. What would you say is the biggest mistake prepared citizens make when it comes to prepping with their families and preparing their families for the realities of survival? Yeah, this one really is all across the board because, like you said, I mean, some sometimes your your spouse or your kids or whatever aren't really into preparation as much as you are. And I think that tends to be the case more often. I know that's my case, um, at least with, with my spouse. She just kind of silently likes to just make sure that I've got everything covered so that she doesn't have to think about anything. Um, but that's actually so, – so there's kind of an inherent danger there, whether your spouse is more prepared or whether they don't want to be prepared. And 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 the biggest problem that I see is in – basically preparing your family to not tell other people about your preparations. And so the way this kind of plays out is um, you, well, you need to understand first uh, the reason why you need to keep your preps secret. And, and this is hard even for a lot of people just in general with your, with how you are with other people, because the more, the more prepared that you get, the more confident you're going to be. And it's just natural that you want to brag about what you've done, whether it's the, you want to tell your neighbor about the, the coming financial collapse or you want to brag about how much food you have or how many guns you have. It, usually it's part of a conversation that's going on and there's kind of this one-upmanship. You know, people are talking about, yeah, I just bought this AR and then you might chime in with, yeah, I got five of them or something like that. And so, um, you, so you, you definitely need to keep it, keep it close to the vest because it's all it's all fine and it's all bragging rights when everything's during peacetime. But as soon as a disaster hits, um, all those people, that's when they start remembering, oh, that's right. You know, Jim has uh, has extra ammunition or Jim has that really cool garden he's been uh, talking about or that survival food stocked away or he's got the gas mask or the pandemic room or whatever it is that you thought was cool to bring out in the guy conversation at the bar or whatever. Um, all of a sudden people start knocking on your door and then you become kind of that one-stop shop for all the problems that people have in dealing with a disaster. Because typically the, you know, we know that the, the grocery stores are going to go empty. Uh, gas lines are going to go uh, there. You know, the, the fuel pumps are going to go empty. 
Water might even be a problem for people to get and things like that. And so you definitely don't want to be known as the one-stop shop and have a mass of people out there knocking on your door, then banging on your door, and then breaking down your door. So with that said, you're, uh, it's, it's easier for you to kind of grasp that concept. It's much harder, though, for your family to grasp that concept. And so if you have a spouse who is, let's say, not along for the ride with preparedness, then when she's complaining, I'm going to assume a she, when she's complaining to her girlfriends about how, oh, yeah, he's he's crazy, he just bought another gun, or now he's got this survival food packed away in our basement, and then, you know, he made this secret room with a, with a fake wall, and all of a sudden, she's spreading the word around because, again, if she doesn't believe that you're ever going to use any of that stuff, then it, it doesn't mean anything to her to go and let her friends know about that. Same thing with the kids. When their friends are talking about zombies and the walking dead on the playground or whatever, and you say, well, my dad's got, you know, three years, he's got, he's got three years of survival food and we've got a whole arsenal of AR-15s and we've got, I've got, I have my own gas mask my dad just bought me. Well, then their kids go home and they tell their parents. And again, it becomes, you become kind of the crazy neighbor, first of all, until something actually happens. And it's like, Hey, Little Jimmy, who was it that you said had all that extra food? Because we're starving here, and I want you know maybe maybe your little friends over at the playground will will let us borrow some of that survival food that they have. So the biggest mistake that I that I see people making when it comes to preparing their family is preparing their family to keep things secret. Now that's gonna that's gonna require you to to really gauge what that actually means. In other words, it might mean not telling your kids a damn thing about any of your preparations. And so that way they don't have to keep a secret. Um, with with me, I mean, my wife doesn't know half the stuff that, that I do. And she knows that it's just, you know, I prefer that she not talk about certain things with people. And it's just an understanding that we have. So you want to make sure that your spouse is on board at least with not sharing it with other people. And again, you need to gauge the, the kids in what they, you know, how old they are, how mature they are with whether you should even tell them anything or whether they can actually keep a secret. So that's that's kind of a personal thing. Everybody's kind of got to feel out with their own family. But that is probably the biggest, I think, as, as far as family preparation, I think that's the biggest mistake that I see people make. You know, it's it's funny because you don't realize just how young they're listening to you either. I have a friend who his uh, six-year-old daughter came home from school with one of those, you know, the thing I like most about my mommy or daddy and she writes, the thing I like most about most about my daddy is that he taught me all about survival. <laughs> so, and you know, you don't think somebody that young is going to be spilling your prepper plans, but no, or you, or you go into uh, into the parent teacher meeting and and little Jimmy's uh, his coloring crayons of uh, of the family up on the board has daddy in a gas mask, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and a, and a big nuclear bomb explosion in the back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's tackle stockpiling survival food. You mentioned that. Um, I think a lot of people who plan to shelter in place are relying on their pantries, and they're often told to stock up on the food they already eat to see them through a crisis. What's the biggest mistake people are making when it comes to stockpiling food for survival? Yeah, there's a lot of different advice out there. I know you know some of the things that people say are to you know get an extra can of food of the things that you normally eat that you want to keep your diet as 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 much of the same as what you're currently doing as possible and and people build up big stockpiles of food in pantries which I think is great like if you can do the extra 
uh, the thing each week and keep that going. Obviously, if you're going to shelter in place, that's going to be um, one of the one of the best ways that you can do it. However, the biggest mistake that I see is that there's there's like a sole reliance on on the pantry type food. So canned goods, sacks of flour, sacks of rice, all of those things that you could you could probably last months on all that food. Most people only have three days worth of food. That was from a study that was done, and but they found about 75% of American households have about three days of food in them. Uh, most people that are in preparedness have more than that, um, especially if you're storing dry goods and things like that. The only problem is that um, that and the, and the big mistake that I see is that all of that stuff can be re, can be destroyed in an instant. So sacks of flour, sacks of rice, all those things can become contaminated. We just had a big flood. Um, basically, sewage and and all this germ-filled water can um, can get inside of pantries. Um, that can happen with a lot of different types of of um, you, you know a, a fire could burn down your house. You could have a tornado that could come through that destroys a house. Your food supply is gone under a lot of different natural disaster types of of scenarios when you're when you're in your home sheltering in place. So you need to understand that um, that can be wiped out, and then what do you have? So people don't have a backup. Is one of the it's the biggest mistake is that they don't have a mobile backup for their food. And what I mean by that is you you might be in a situation where you are forced to leave your home and dry goods like rice and flour and um, packaged goods and canned goods don't travel very well. And so my what I tell everybody to do is is you can you can do a little bit of extra stuff like the extra can here and there every week when you go to the grocery store, get a pantry going. That's totally fine. But your primary means of, of survival food should be freeze-dried meals. And I say that because they are, are very portable. They are easy to conceal. They are easy to um, um, stack. They don't take up a lot of room. So you can put them in. A lot of them come in. My favorite ones come in uh, in these plastic kits. And everything's inside of there. They stack up very easily inside of a closet, so you don't need a giant pantry. Most people don't have a, a, a big pantry anyway, but they stack up inside of closets or under stairs and things like that. If there is something coming, like a um, like a like a hurricane or something like that, or some other natural disaster, you can move them to a higher location. Most people have their their pantries and their kitchens on like the first floor, and so if something comes in, you know you're not. It's going to be very difficult for you to move you know, sacks of, of food and canned goods up to the second story to keep them, you know, a little bit safer as one example. But then also if you need to leave these freeze-dried meals, you can actually just take them and put them in the back of a vehicle in the, in the plastic container. And with, you know, that doesn't, you don't even have to prep them. You just grab the container and go. And they have up to a 25-year shelf life as opposed to canned goods, which will have about a two-year shelf life. And I'll bet you right now, there's people out there that if you look in your pantry, you have tomato soup cans or whatever that's been in there for more than two years. And so there's there are some problems with canned goods and things like that, that you don't have those problems with freeze-dried meals. Uh, they're now very economical. You can get them very inexpensively. And it's just perfect to kind of set those aside and use those as your primary survival meal pan. And then you know, if, if something does happen, you're sheltering in place, don't use those yet. 
Keep those ready to go mobile if you have to, but then that's where you can rely on your pantry as long as you can. But if you don't have a backup, then you're going to be, you know, SOL. So that's why I say freeze-dried meals should be your primary uh, source of survival food. You know, I, I have the freeze-dried food, too, and I always worry about having enough water because without enough water, those, those dehydrated meals are useless to you. And, of course, we all need water. We need a ton of water to survive. But I think a lot of people who are planning on sheltering in place take the water part of the survival equation for granted. Um, if they thought about losing water service at all, they figure they'll fill up the bathtub when the crisis looms and then use that to live off when water stops coming out of the pipes. Um, storing water is a hot topic among preppers because we need so much of it. It's heavy. It's awkward to store and to transport. Uh, what's the biggest mistake prepared citizens make when it comes to storing water for long-term survival? Yeah, I think I think it's the big mistake is what you just said, which is they take it for granted that a disaster is going to happen and they can instantly get to water. We take the water that comes out of our faucet for granted. And, you know, there's even there's even some preparedness supplies where there's like this bladder that you put inside of your bathtub. And as soon as you know something's coming, you can fill it up with water so that inside of your bathtub, you basically have this big giant canteen essentially that you can use those are great as long as the water is coming out of your your faucet and you are able to get to it if you have a well um, that might work out better for you if you're on some sort of a city system where you're getting water from a, a municipality that may or may not happen if electricity goes down if there's a disaster that destroys um, the means of getting water if it's not pressure fed you know, like if it's electrical uh, if, you, if you have different machinery that that um, somehow so that pumps water that might not get to you same thing even if you have a well if you've got an electric pump and that's not working how does the water get out of the well so is there a means of being able to get to that so that's that's one thing is you might actually not have any water coming out of the faucet that you have the other part of it is that it could become contaminated and i've had water become contaminated without it being a disaster and that was coming out of a well water. And I've also had that happen with municipality water as well. In fact, uh, a town, town near me, they're, they're on a, they've been on a boil, boil alert for, it seems like forever. And they have lead in, in certain water systems. They can't figure out where it's coming from. And we've seen a lot of these different cases of chemical spills and things like that that have contaminated uh, groundwater. And uh, there, was, there was that huge one where they turned a river orange. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and it, sometimes you see these, I mean, you see these giant chemical containers right next to rivers. So, you know, we're not always the best at, at, at planning this stuff out and we're always more reactive, but essentially you can't take that for granted. So you, so that's the big mistake is, is taking it for granted that it's going to be there. And so that means that what you, what you need to do is when you can store up on some water and there are some ways that you can do that. Um, there's those, you know, those big giant jugs. There's a thing up, thing out now, like they're, um, I don't know if they're called, they look like big water bricks. And, uh, basically these, these are like stackable containers of water that you fill up and you can store away. And so, so you can store water so that you have it right away. But really what you need is a way to manufacture water. And so that happens with a filtering process. So there's different fill, I have, I have a, a few different filters that I use and one looks like a big, kind of a water cooler sort of thing, and it uses a ceramic filter, and you can pour water in that, and it will eliminate the germs that, that are in the water, and it'll, you, that that's really great for having up on the counter, just pouring some water in there, and then using that to dispense water. 
Um, I also have a portable water filter, not a survival straw. I'm not a big fan of like the survival straw thing because you need to be at water in order to kind of use the water. Unless you, I mean, you could have a canteen, you could suck it out of the canteen. But, um, but my, my preference is to have an inline water filter. And so if you have some sort of a, a uh, water bladder with a, uh, a tubing that comes out of it and you can connect an inline water filter where the water passes through there, then you can fill that water bladder up and, 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 um, and just filter it right there on the spot. That makes it mobile. The other thing is that um, with that kind of a, a tubing type structure and an inline water filter, you can actually use any type of a container. You could use a garbage bag if you wanted to, and you can, you can, there's an adapter you can use on different things for, for the tubing that basically creates a, an airtight seal and a hole in whatever container you want to use. And all you do is hook the tubing up to it. Water passes through the filter and you can do that. So that's a, that's a great water, water factory type system. The other uh, thing that I've seen is people using humidifiers. There's a there's a way to rig a humidifier to be able to collect that water and filter it as well. And so the whole point of all of that is that you need to be able to basically create water almost out of thin air or from the water sources that you have around you and being able to filter those so you never have to worry about about that that you know being able to have water for your food and for drinking. I mean, look at all the people in Katrina that there was water everywhere and people, the, the half of all deaths were due to water, either from contaminated water or dehydration because they couldn't drink any of it. So, um, I mean, that's, that's really what you've got to do. You've got to think water factory, not storing water as much. All right. Uh, Jeff, it seems like the biggest concern that most preppers have when it comes to long-term sheltering a place is not the emergency itself, not the, disaster, the water, the fires, the floods, or even the riots, but defending themselves from looters and, and other types of home invaders that come out when this happens. I, I think it's a pretty valid concern. If the power is off and there's a riot out there, you stay at home, you listen to your AM radio, and you wait for the crisis to pass. But if a danger shows up at your door, that's another matter altogether. So what's the biggest mistake that people make when it comes to dealing with external threats like looting? Yeah, so the the biggest mistake I see people making with this is essentially what's become kind of the cool thing to do, which is just spray paint a big old looters will be shot sign. I've seen it's almost become kind of comical, like the different types of sayings that they'll have. And one person I saw had put a skeleton out in front of their house and uh, put a big sign on it saying, I, I was a looter or I am a looter or something like that. So, you know, it, it's become kind of this like gimmicky slash, you know, um, warning for, for everybody not to mess with me because I will shoot you. And the thing is, is that that is probably the worst thing that you can do def when you're thinking home defense, when you think about fortifying yourself, that's the last thing you really want to do. Because number one, um, it, it advertises that you have guns. So if, you know, looters aren't stupid, it's not like they're going to be, you know, just go up to your front and, and, and just start throwing trash cans through your window, especially if they know that you're going to, you've got, a, you've got guns in there. That's supposed to be the whole, I guess that's the whole point is to, is to make sure that they don't do that, but that's not what they're going to do. If they want guns and, and especially you need to understand that typically in this type of a scenario, 
police are going to be overwhelmed. So it's not, and, and looters and everybody know, and that's why you see them all stomping up on top of and breaking windows of, of police cars, because there is no more rule of law. There is no accountability. In their minds, they can do anything that they want and get away with it. So if, you, if that means stealing your guns, um, they're going to come in when you least expect it, or they're going to ambush you, or they're going to wait till you're out and about, or they're going to wait until a family member has to leave, and then they're going to grab them. So there's a lot of different ways. I mean, you can use your imagination of how you would get guns from somebody if you wanted them, but basically that's what you've done is you've advertised that. Now, besides the the um, the looters, you have the problem of the rule of law with um, – with local authorities, whether it's police or whether it's military, National Guard or whatever it is, um, you're advertising now that you have guns and you're ready to shoot somebody. Now you become part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. And not only that, but you're an advertised part of the problem. So when you, we, you know, everybody's concerned about confiscation of weapons, like we saw in Katrina, things like that. Well, this is why they don't want people just going in and shooting other people. And so it's very possible that you could have your weapons confiscated if you are advertising that you're going to shoot somebody. So, you know, definitely you want to, this is one of another one of those times where you want to keep all of your preps secret. You don't want people to know that you're armed. You want to fortify your home with delaying factors so that if somebody has made the decision to get into your house, that they can't do it easily. They can't do it quickly. And you're armed if they do come in and you're, and you're fully justified for that. But most likely you'd be dealing with maybe just one or two people, so to speak, as opposed to if they know that you're armed and they want to take it, they might come in and create a diversion. There might be four or five people coming in your back, your back windows or something. So you def, definitely don't, don't show your cards. Keep, keep your, your security preparations as secret as your other preparations. All right, Jeff. Now, from a shelter perspective, there's obviously no better means of protection than your own home, which is why so many people focus on their home-based survival supplies uh, in a crisis. But I know you take a pretty controversial approach to waiting out a threat at home that you feel strongly about, so I'll just hand this one off to you. When it comes to the shelter aspect of sheltering in place, what's the number one thing you think people need to do differently than what you see most doing? Yeah, so this I, I get this a lot, and this is one of my pet peeves because I, I hear from people kind of like what you said in, in the beginning, which was, you know, I'm too old to bug out. I don't, um, you know, I've got my pets here. I have all of my supplies here. Um, I've asked people how they're, you know, if they have a bug out bag and things like that, and they're and they're like, nope, I've got everything all set up at home. I'm good to go. Like in in their mind because they've set up their pantry or and they have a rifle and you know they have some water stored away or whatever that everything's going to be fine there and they're fully and they're ready to shelter in place and that's and that may be perfectly perfectly um absolutely correct if it's just a simple shelter in place scenario but what if it's not and that's what I ask them you know and I can even have people brainstorm themselves if I ask them to and they're not just in total denial to come up with some of the things that might force them out of the of their home. In fact, that that always works best is to is to ask them, okay, what are some things that could force you out of your home? And chaos is one of those things. Anytime you see like on the news where there's looting going on and and uh, you know things like that or protests that are happening, I always look and look over and see like what are, look at those people in the homes nearby there. 
because they, you know, what would you do if you owned a home that's right near one of those areas where a protest is happening? Um, and I've seen this not even just urban in areas like Ferguson and, and, and Baltimore and things like that, but also in like college towns where there were uh, college protests and all of a sudden there's there's something that, you know, there's an altercation in the street. Now there's police there. And, you know, there's there's a lot of things that can happen in any area. So social chaos is one of those things where if it's happening outside your door, it's not like you want to just, you know, be there with your rifle. If you if you know something is coming, you want to be able to get out of there so that um, when people start burning buildings, if yours is one of them, you're not caught inside of there. And the other thing is that there might actually be a scenario where a natural disaster does force you out of your home. And you're not going to have that choice. I guess that's that's the whole point, is that sheltering in place is is easier uh, when when it's actually an option. And hopefully you can just wait everything out. But you know, and I, and I kind of I kind of steal this from a friend of mine this this terminology, but uh, I apply it to survival, which is um, bugging out might not be the easiest answer, but when it is the answer, it's the only answer. And so you can't just take the standpoint of, you know, guess what? Sorry, Martha, I guess we're going to have to die here in this flood because, you know, I'm not bugging out. No, when you have to bug out, that's the only thing you're going to, that's, you're going to, you're going to bug out. You have no choice. And there are countless stories of people who have died in their homes because they weren't prepared to leave. So it's not it's not an excuse, it's not the right excuse for your family. It's nothing you can tell your your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, or whoever, um, as an excuse of why you didn't leave because you thought that you'd be able to just shelter in place. So my controversial topic of this, and what, and what the big mistake is, is that you you need to look at bugging out as your very first planning option. So that way, if if you never have to bug out, at least you have supplies there, you have extra food and things like that that you can use if you have to. Um, so it, it covers you in sheltering in place. Now, you're not going to be able to put a whole bunch of food inside of a bug out bag or something like that. But again, if you have freeze-dried meals in plastic containers, those can go in the back of a vehicle when you bug out. I'm not talking about just like putting your backpack on and start going out into the into the wild, the wild blue, you know, the wild north. I'm talking about just being able to get in your vehicle and get out of Dodge. And so if you're prepared for that, then you're automatically prepared for surviving in place for the most part. But if you all you plan for is for surviving in place and you're forced to evacuate, it's not going to work the opposite way. It's not like you're automatically prepared to bug out. It requires specific skills, specific gear, specific plans. And so that's the very first place that everybody should start. Unfortunately, it's usually the last place that people start. All right. Uh, great stuff, man. And I know you had a lot you wanted to get off your chest. So I'm sure <laughs> it's good therapy for me. Now, right? Yeah, it's good. It's awesome therapy for me. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps things up for us today, everyone. And we have a lot more coming up on the podcast. So be sure to stay tuned for our next episode. You can always check out our latest shows either on iTunes or just head on over to our website at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. And until our next MCS broadcast, this is Buck Green saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. 
You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.